0: As if you turn with me in the word of God to Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon, just before the prophecy of Isaiah, Song of Solomon chapter 7. That's where the Lord will have us this morning. Well, again, it again is a joy to be with you this second Lord's Day. Uh, my family and I have received a warm welcome. And we are thankful to be here with you. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. And we'll begin reading at verse 10. Again, let us hear the word of God. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field, let us lodge in the villages, let us get up early to the vineyards, let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth, there will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved amen we'll end our reading there trust the lord to bless this word to our souls let's pray just briefly asking for his help one last time our father in heaven we come now to the sacred moment of the preaching of the word of god and lord we ask that as the book is opened that the spirit of god will be the one that speaks oh lord that you would make me a channel that you'd fill me with the holy spirit and you'd enable me to speak forth only that which is of God. O Lord, we ask even now, keep the chaff out of this message, and may there only be wheat for the souls of thy people. Help us now, we pray, to rightly preach and to rightly hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the words I want to draw your attention to are found in verse 10. And I just want us to focus on this text found in Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. It's a short text, but it is full of significance, full of meaning, full of things for us to meditate on for the good of our souls this morning. I want to uh, just make a note here uh, deal a little bit with the context and interpretation of the book. Uh, Many take this book different ways. Uh, Some take it as uh, a manual for marriage. Um, That is not the way I take it. Uh, Scripture is Christ-centered, and though there are many things in this book that uh, we do see application uh, for the relationship between husband and wife, this is chiefly a book about the king and his bride. It is a book, I suggest to you, about Christ and his church. It is, I like to think of it as a historical picture that illustrates a timeless and spiritual reality. Song of Solomon is written, obviously, by King Solomon. And I do believe there is a historical significance to these things um, that uh, the relationship is not insignificant. There is a historical context in which these descriptions and all these things have their place and need to be brought out. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, we fall short if we do not see the significance of these statements as they apply to Christ and his church. And so, without diving any further into that subject, I, I take this book that way, that it is Christ-centered. And it's about the king and his bride. And as I said, I want to focus on verse 10. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. These are the words of the bride being spoken to her king, being spoken to her groom. And she makes this declaration in confidence, in joy, and boldly proclaims, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. And they are the words of Christ's church. <laughs> they are the words of his whole church, but they are personal words. They are words that every true Christian should be able to say with confidence. And can you say these words this morning and Christ, utter them to yourself even now, I am my beloved. I am Christ and his desire is toward me his love is toward me this really is the christian laying hold of who christ is and what he has done it is as if she is saying i belong to christ and he loves me and it is easy We all must confess it is easy to say something like this when we are comfortable in life, when our spiritual walk seems to be going well, when we are uh, at ease, as it were. But it is when we are in doubt and when we don't feel like it is true that we need to believe this and be able to say this with confidence. And so I want to speak to you today from this text about belonging to and being desired by Christ. Belonging to and being desired by Christ. It is a glorious thing. And I trust the Lord will bless this meditation to your souls and give us many sweet things to take with us through this day. The first thing I want you to see very simply, is that the Christian belongs to Christ. The Christian belongs to Christ. Listen to the words of the bride, this declaration, I am my beloved. And so as we think of that, I am my beloved, that statement, uh, the words uh, signify ownership. I belong to my beloved beloved when when she says i am my beloved she's saying i belong to him he 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 owns me as it were in this relationship of husband and wife and so as we think about that what does that mean that that we belong to him that we are owned by him well the first thing i want you to see here as we think about the christian belonging to christ is that belonging to Christ means that he has taken ownership of us. Belonging to Christ means that he has taken ownership of you. In your relationship with him. Now that that immediately brings us to a personal and individual experience. That, that Christ has wooed you. That he has drawn you to himself. That he has brought you into marriage with himself, into union with himself, spiritual union. Well, how did he do that? Just a couple of things as we think about this. Well, the first thing we we must uh, think about here is that he took ownership of you by taking on your nature. He took ownership of you by taking on your nature. The eternal Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, Took on a human nature, took on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He took on your nature. He is the God man. And we're not going to dive into all the, uh, the theology of, of that. The, the point simply of this is to, for you to see the condescension of your Lord. To see Him coming, becoming man, and pursuing His people, His bride. That, that is what we see the Lord Jesus doing as He takes on flesh. This is Christ pursuing His bride. You. Taking on flesh to pursue you. Entering into this world to pursue you for Himself. It is as the hymn writer said, Thou didst leave thy throne and came to earth for me. He is, he is the groom who travels from a far away country, far removed from where you were. And he he travels, he leaves his kingdom to come and to rescue his bride. To come and to rescue you from your sin. So he takes on your nature in order to take ownership of you. But also, he takes responsibility for your sin. He takes responsibility for your sin to take ownership of you. There was a separation between you and this groom. Between you and this king. And as he comes, he comes knowing that he's going to have to take responsibility for his people's sin. That he's going to have to lay down his life and pay a price to purchase this bride for himself. And here we have suggested to us, as we think of belonging to Christ... And all that had to happen in order for the bride to say, I am my beloveds, we have the whole idea of substitution suggested. I, I bring it before you that Christ had to take on this responsibility for your sin in order to legally pay your debts to God and bring you to the position where he could receive you and be his beloved his bride rather, and for him to be your beloved. What do we read in Ephesians 5, 25? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He laid down his life in order to do away with this sin that was keeping us separated. He took all your sin upon him had it imputed to Him, He he was made sin for us and took that sin to the cross, nailed it there, and suffered all of the wrath of God upon your sin in order to have you. He took upon Himself to pay the highest cost that could be paid to have you. And you think of that, you are the most expensive bride that there's ever been. So that the price for your soul in order for Christ to redeem you to himself and to deal with your sin cost him his life, cost him the suffering of an eternity's worth of the wrath of God. The highest cost that there could, that could be paid. By taking on your nature, by taking responsibility for your sin, but also he takes ownership of you by taking responsibility for your life. He takes responsibility for your life. And here we want to get into this picture more this picture of of the the bride and the groom the husband and the wife because as as a husband takes a wife he takes responsibility for her life doesn't he 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 begins to care for her and and take responsibility of her and and she she leaves uh, the care of her of her parents and she she comes into the care of her husband and that is what we have here in this picture i am my beloved's i i belong to him he is In other words, my protector. And Christ, as He brings us to Himself, as the Spirit draws us to Him, He becomes responsible for our life. He becomes our protector. And this can be expected, this this protection. You can expect this from Christ as His bride. Because if you go back, you'll see this statement is similar to those that have come before it in other chapters and it's it's rendered another way with a, another detail where the bride says i am my beloved's and we sang it this morning and he is mine he is mine so there's not only the fact that christ owns his bride that he's taken ownership of you but there's also the fact that as you belong to him you can expect his care you can expect him to be your protector to be your shepherd as it were. And to watch over you, He's taken responsibility for your life and to care for you as a husband does for a spouse. Only He does it perfectly without any mistakes. And so belonging to Christ means that He has taken ownership of you. But also, as we think of about belonging to Christ, belonging to Christ means that your identity is in him. Your identity is in him. It's found in him. And you see this again as the picture of the husband and the wife. She says, I am my beloveds. There comes, when there, when there comes a marriage, there comes a sense of belonging that the, the bride feels. She feels that she belongs to her husband, or rather she should. And you, you see this even in a simple way by the woman taking the man's name when a husband and wife marry. She, she takes his name in order to be identified with him. Is that not the case? That, that she begins now to be identified by who she is in union with, by who she is married to, and it is the same for the Christian in Christ. No longer are you identified by who you used to be. You have a new name. You've been brought into this family. You've been brought into this spiritual union with Christ. And as the picture of the husband and wife is, it is but a symbol for the spiritual union that you have with our Lord Jesus Christ. For don't we read of the Apostle Paul saying with sure confidence, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He identifies with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. And so belonging to Christ means our identity found in him. It means that Christ defines who you are. It means that sin does not define who you are. It means that your experience does not define who you are. Whether you fail in life or succeed in life, whether you have a wicked past, whatever you may think of that that you would think of as characterizing you, that is not where your identity is found. But it is found in who Christ is and what He has done. And as you identify in Him before God Almighty, you are perfect, sinless, redeemed. Sin does not define you. Your experience does not define you. The things that you have suffered and endured do not define you. But all that you have in Christ defines you. The world does not define you. The world may come and and may say all manner of evil against us. And yet, we find who we are only in Christ. So your identity is found in Him. Also, as we think about belonging to Christ. The final thing here. Belonging to Christ means that you do not belong to others. Belonging to Christ means that you do not belong to others. I am my beloved's. In other words, I am his and no one else's. No one else can lay claim to me And I will give myself to no one else. The way that a wife is loyal to her husband, the way that a wife becomes devoted and loyal to him, that's what we have here. You do not belong to others. And also, as we think about that, you do not belong to yourself. You do not belong to just yourself anymore. You take on service to this one who has brought you into union with himself. So that she says, I am my beloved's. When she says, I am my beloved's, there's a a loyalty in that and there's a desire to serve in that. There's a joy that she identifies as his and she declares that she is his and no one else's so that she is going to give herself mind, body, and soul to him. See, even as we read, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, we're told to flee fornication. Verse 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ownership. You do not belong to yourself. You do not belong to Satan. You do not belong to idols. You do not belong to the world. And that being the case, brothers and sisters, then it becomes incumbent upon us. It becomes required of us that we would endeavor to not give ourselves to others, to not give ourselves to idols or give ourselves to what pleases us that is sinful pleasure, but that our life would be all about serving Him. So that it would not be said of us as it is said to the people of God in Hosea 3.1. These are very sobering words. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the lord toward the children of israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine spiritual adultery committed against the lord and we must guard ourselves from that we we live in a world that is constantly Pleading for our attention, constantly pleading for our affections, constantly trying to give ourselves, get us to give ourselves to it. And so what? We must take the admonition of the Apostle John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And this, brothers and sisters, these things that we've thought about as our belonging to Christ Especially in his, his what He had to do to take ownership of us. Just try. Just try to enter into the love of your Lord. The love that He must have had to come the way that He did to endure what He did in order to bring you to Himself. And as you meditate on these things and as you are able to say, I am my beloveds, you realize and you see that your motivation for serving Him and for aligning with Him, your motivation for doing this is because He is lovely. She calls Him beloved, denoting the fact that He is is precious, he He is lovely. And how is that love shown to us? His actions display His love for you. And they motivate you to be loyal to Him. Romans 5.8 God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when you, when you see this, when you see Him as beloved, when you lay hold upon His loveliness, you joyfully embrace being under Him because He is worthy. He is worthy of your life, worthy of your service, worthy of all your affections and all your devotion. He is the husband who is most worthy of all the service that a wife can give. I am my beloved, And so we should serve him. We should endeavor every day to serve him with all of our hearts. But secondly here, not only does the Christian belong To Christ. I am my beloved's. But the second thing is that the Christian is desired. By Christ. The Christian is desired. By Christ. I am my beloved's and his desire. Is toward me. Now. I want us to think. About that word desire. There's it's very significant. And. I was delighted in my soul uh, in studying this. You know, this word desire, it has the idea of longing for. It has the idea of affections being drawn after. It has the idea of, uh, of a stretching out after, uh, a pursuing, as it were. His desire is toward me. It's for me. He wants me. And even before we, we look into that word, just think about that. Think about that, that the Bible actually says that Jesus Christ, in the most holy and heavenly spiritual manner, actually desires, longs for you. That is hard to understand from my perspective. But this word desire, it only occurs three times in the Bible. And the first place in which it occurs is Genesis chapter 3. You can turn there if you like. I'm just going to reference these and and show you the significance of why we're even looking at this. But in Genesis 3, In verse 16, the word occurs where it is said as part of the curse unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now we wonder, well, what does that mean? What does her desire being toward her husband mean? Well, uh, as it's been pointed out by others, there's a close parallel uh, with that same word, the second place it occurs in your Bible is in the next chapter, in chapter 4 and verse 7, where it is said to Cain, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so, I, I think rightly, the interpretation is is of Genesis 3, 16, is that uh, the wife is going to desire to be over her husband, going to desire to control him, as we see that parallel in chapter 4. Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. It's desiring you, Cain, and wants to control you. Well, we see that in the in the wife in Genesis 3:16 is a part of the curse, and yet her efforts will be um, always in conflict because the husband will rule over thee. So those are the two places where that word occurs. And then We come to Song of Solomon and the word occurs here. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. What what is going on there? Why, Why is this here? Why is it the only three places that that word occurs? Well, I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that what we have in Song of Solomon 7 verse 10 is the reversal of the curse. It is the reversal of the curse. You have the bride. You have the wife, the woman, saying, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. In other words, you have the curse in Genesis 3, right? And the Lord saying, You're going to desire to control your husband. Well, here, you have the bride saying, I am my beloved's. I am his. I, I, I am submitted to him. I am with him. And I'm not going to buck his rule over me. And you have the husband his desire being toward her that that he is not going to rule over her in a way that is unbecoming but he his his love is going to be displayed to her it's going to be his affections are going to be always toward her it's perfect harmony in the union that Christ has with his church it is the reversal of the curse And that thrilled my soul to think about that, to think about Christ reversing the curse and making us obedient unto Him, giving us a heart that is submitted to His rule over us. And so as we think about the Christian being desired by Christ, we want to see that Christ's desire toward you is from before the foundation of the world. I just want to, to hit these and, 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 and plant seeds of thought for you. Christ's desire toward you is from before the foundation of the world. When did he start desiring her? When, when did that begin? It began before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Before the foundation of the world what does Psalm 2.8 say? Ask of me And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And so Christ, before the foundation of the world, knowing that you would fall and betray him, knowing that you would fall and betray him in Adam, he still desired you knowing all the sin that you would ever commit pre- and post-salvation, He still desired you. His desire toward you is from before the foundation of the world. But also Christ's desire toward you is unconditional. It is an unconditional desire that He has toward you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the picture we're given. That picture of unconditional love. It's the picture of electing love, as we read in Romans nine concerning Jacob and Esau before they were born, having done good or evil. The Lord set His love upon Jacob. It's a it's a sovereign choice that He makes to love the unlovable. And it is unconditional. It it is not a desire. This desire here is not based on you fulfilling a checklist. It is the perfect display of unconditional love. That we don't always see in marriage. In human marriage. As you who are married you can testify to this. That that there are times where we, we do feel our love being conditional. We we have to restrain ourselves from that. We have to catch ourselves from setting conditions upon which we will love our wives or love or respect our husbands. And though it is unconditional, I want to take the time here to to see something that we are told in Psalm 45:11 as we think about this. In Psalm 45:11, we're told a wonderful truth. His, his desire toward us is unconditional, and yet we have this great statement. It says in Psalm 45:11, speaking of the king, "So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty." What beauty? As you think about yourself, what what beauty would Christ desire in me? And yet we are told he has greatly desired thy beauty. Where we're being pointed to there that he sees something in us. Not in ourselves. It's not of our doing, but he sees something in us. The king hath greatly desired thy beauty. Our beauty is defined by him. It's what He sees as beautiful. He sees a people bought with His precious blood, redeemed from darkness and brought into life, and He sees it as beautiful. And He desires them. And so our beauty is defined by Him and it's developed by Him. As, as Christ desires our, toward us and as He greatly desires our beauty, He he brings us along. He leads His bride to higher places of holiness and spiritual life. And we become beautiful in Him. So Christ's desire toward you is unconditional. Also, Christ's desire toward you is constant. Christ's desire toward you is constant. This this statement here in song of solomon 7 verse 10 his desire is toward me is a fixed statement it is a a <clears throat> a declaration of something that is that is constant unchanging and it is clear we can see here the the unity here in the the picture of husband and wife that that there's a there's an elevation here because as you can testify in a relationship between a husband and wife, our feelings fluctuate. And, and, and we have good days and we have bad days. And we, we reflect a changing feeling and we have to, again, check our hearts and we have to keep reminding ourselves of our vows. We have to keep committing ourselves to loving each other. And yet, Christ is never tired of you. Christ is never, never desires to leave you. His feelings toward us do not change. They are eternal. He will never get to a point where He does not want you. He is the perfect husband. It is as we sang. My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. I change, he changes not. Though Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. Those are the characteristics of this desire that Christ has toward us. But as we think about what what is this desire leading to? What What is it for? What does Christ want in us? How is he desiring us? Christ's desire toward you is for communion. It is for communion. That's the picture we're given here. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. And then as you go on, you see, come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field, let us lodge in the villages. And as you skip to the end of verse 12, you see, there will I give thee my loves. There will I give thee my loves. It's a desire for communion. That's the picture that we're we're given here a picture of sweet and intimate communion between the king and his bride. And that is Christ's desire toward you. That is what it is driving towards. That is what he's longing after, is communion with you and your soul. Some of you may be able to relate to this, or at least you can see it, that that when two people... Uh, get married, when they first get married, all they want to do, typically, is be around one another. Isn't that the case? They just want to be in each other's presence. Well, how much greater is that reality in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ? He wants you in His presence. And this, brothers and sisters, this desire toward you for communion It is the purpose of redemption. The purpose of redemption was the restoration of this communion. Our our shorter catechism in question 19 rightfully states, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God and are under His wrath and curse. And yet, the Son goes about, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit go about performing redemption and reconciling us to God, restoring communion, the Father gave, the Son earned, and the Spirit drew these people, drew you to himself. so that Christ, you, you see this desire coming out in John uh, in John's gospel. Think about his desire here. In John 17, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. I want them to be with me in my presence. I want communion with them. And you jump back to John 14, verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. It is communion, brothers and sisters. It is what He desires. He desires for us to be where He is. With me. And praise His name. He makes this desire known to us through His Word. He, he comes to us by the Spirit and He preaches the Gospel to us. And he tells us that his desire is toward us. And he makes his word effectual to us. The final thing here. Christ's desire toward you is for communion. And I might add, though it is communion that will be in eternity, ultimately, it is communion that is here and now as well. He desires your communion every day. There's never a day where Christ doesn't want to speak to you. What a husband. What what a friend we have in Jesus. That there's never a time, never a moment where He does not desire communion with you through His Word and in prayer. But the last thing is that Christ's desire toward you I suggest it's for your happiness. It is for your happiness. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Why do I say that? Why do I say it is for your happiness? You say happiness, really? Yes, biblical happiness, not carnal happiness, not just something that you think of as far as gratifying the flesh. The word happy takes on so much a negative connotation in our culture, but, but biblical happiness, biblical joy and pleasure. And that is Christ's desire being fulfilled in you. It is communion to the end that you would be happy. Why do I say that? Well, I say that for several reasons. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 33, uh, we're told of of kind of the practical nature of marriage. We're told concerning the husband uh, that... He that is married cared for the things that are of the world, that he may please his wife. And that we're, and we're told also of the wife, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. How they may please one another. Okay? I suggest to you, therefore, in the picture of marriage, that Christ is, is careful. He is caring about our happiness, our pleasure in Him. That as He is the perfect spouse, as spousage, if any spouse loves their significant other, they they care about the other's happiness. And Christ perfectly, holily, sinlessly cares for that which is biblical happiness in us. And if I may go back to those verses that we were just referencing in John 17 and 14. Why does He desire us to be with Him? Why does He desire us to be with Him where we can behold His glory? As the rest of the verse in John 17, 24 says, that they may be with me and behold my glory. Why does He desire that? It is not because there is something lacking in Him. It it is not because He needs us. God doesn't stand in need of any creature. And He is God. He does not need us to be with Him in order to to be satisfied in order to be content. He he is content in Himself. He is God. And so, He desires us to be with Him where He is, beholding His glory, and to have a place with Him because He knows what will make us happiest. It is for your happiness, not His, that He will have us behold His glory. Because as you behold His glory, you will be raptured for eternity and whatever we'll be doing in eternity with the new heaven and the new earth, whatever other activities will be going on, you can rest assured, no matter what you are doing, you will be beholding the glory of Christ. And you will be sinlessly, perfectly content and happy in Him, your King. And so, even now, in this life, our true and ultimate happiness is found in Christ. It is in Him. This is our daily need, brothers and sisters. To behold Christ and your position in Him. To to behold your belonging to Him. To to behold being His. I am my beloveds. And to behold his desire being toward you, always, always longing after you for more communion, for your good, for your soul. I want to close with the words of Psalm 21, verse 2, where it is said, I is a psalm of David. I suggest to you it is. Messianic, typical, at least in parts of it of Christ. In verse 2, certainly. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. The father did not withhold the heathen from his son. Ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen. Thou hast given him his heart's desire. Let that word be stamped upon our hearts. Let it take up residence in our souls. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. And as Robert Hawker at least planted the seed thought for this, he was saying in reference to Psalm 2110, commenting upon it, speaking of tracing the history of Christ's love for your soul. That every believer should should sit and trace the history of Christ's love for your soul. And as I thought about that, and these are the words I'll leave you with. As I thought about that, tracing the history of Christ's love for your soul. You will find, as I did, you will find it everlasting. You will find it enduring. And you will find it engulfing. Everlasting love. Enduring love. And love that surrounds you, engulfs you in his arms may the lord bless his word to us our heavenly father we we bow humbly in the name of christ we confess o lord that we do not see ourselves as worthy to belong to thee or of such desire and longing After love. But Lord, we thank Thee that You have said such things in Your holy book. We thank Thee that this book is infallible in what it says. And we pray, O God, that You will bless this word to the souls of Your people. That You will help us all, O God, to take it before Thee in the place of prayer. That we may gain assurance of this truth. And Lord, we ask that You will be with us in the coming days. Not knowing what a day may bring forth, but knowing, O God, that thy truth does not change. And what thou hast said concerning us in Christ does not change. Though all the world cave in around us, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. O Lord, bless your word we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.